Yeah, so uh, what we've been doing in this class, as uh, most of you know, is talking about um, the biblical story as an invitation to partner with God. And so we started out with Genesis uh, 1 and the creation account, and it's specifying in the creation account how, um, what God intends for us to do and the relationship that he intends to have with us and how he uh, intends for us to take that relationship to the rest of the world. And so some of the things that we've been touching on in this, uh, in this class are how that, how we can go from the biblical story to practical application, how we can take that into our lives um, and the rest of the world. So, uh, so Rob is um, a great kind of example of this and, uh, and I've, I've known him for a number of years. Uh, and have been, it's been great to see the, the formation of the well and, and all this kind of stuff come out of that, as well as uh, your work with Lipscomb and uh, businesses, missions, uh, study. So that connects to, to what we're doing here. And uh, so I wanted to bring um, Rob to talk about that and how he frames that and how we can frame that, uh, uh, how we can frame our work in the context of our spirituality. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Really good to be with you guys. And I like that we have, I hope it will be a conversational style. So let's, um, let's engage in conversation this morning and I'll simply be the facilitator of that. So you mentioned the class down the halls on maybe hell. Um, <laughs> this one is a different kind of BAM. So business is mission. So I'll say BAM and I'll yeah, say yeah. a few, uh, three words. We'll get it down to one. Um, but what BAM is, it's just a coincidence really, but it's, I, I would like to say it's the holy collision of business and mission. And for me in my journey from 16 and a half, 17 years of pastoral paid church staff ministry into more of the world of business has been an unexpected BAM for me, an unexpected collision that I didn't uh, intend to do. But by the grace of God and more in spite of me than because of me, God had this crazy idea for me to open a coffee shop with a wonderful team of people. That somehow exploded, no pun intended, uh, into something I never imagined, which was um, a successful coffee shop that turned into what should be six stores by the end of next year, um, as we opened three more in 2017. Um, and then the other unexpected twist was that God opened a door uh, for me to come on board at Lipscomb University and to create a center for business as mission. And as some of you know, that was a hard choice for me because I was on staff here at Otter Creek for at that stage, only a year and a half, and uh, was loving being here on staff, and Lipscomb opened the door for me, and um, I accepted that invitation to become um, the director of a new center for business's mission, and then to teach. So I am now a, a professor in our College of Business and the director of our center, and uh, really enjoying that, and get to eat my cake, have my cake and eat it too, still get to be here at Otter Creek, and a part of uh, the wonderful things here. So. I wanted to tell you a little about my journey, how I got started, and some of you have heard this before. Um, so how did I become an entrepreneur? I certainly couldn't have spelled that when I was uh, this age, when I was eight or nine, but when I was um, living around or near a golf course and was uh, kind of like everybody, you know, the kid looking for fun things to do, we'd ride our, our bikes on the golf cart paths and have a good old time, you know, as kids being able to watch golf, golfers throw clubs into the woods and all kinds of funny things, you know, we'd observe. And one day we thought for fun, it's, it was kind of like a big Easter egg hunt every day. We'd go out and find golf balls and just compete to see who could fill up their basket with the most golf balls. And uh, I don't remember whose idea it was, but I'll, I guess I can take credit for it as the business guy now. One of us said, let's sell these things or let's see if we can sell these things back to the golfers. 
So we set up on one of the hardest holes and just thought, let's just see, kind of experiment. And the golfers, you know, would, we set up on a hard hole, the golfers would either come to us in a really good mood or a really bad mood. Good mood if they'd birdied the hole, you know. So we'd be like, hey, mister, you want to buy some golf balls? And if they were in a good mood, they're like, yeah, you kids are so sweet. And they'd, you know, throw over 50 cents. And we'd find balls like this and clean them up and put them in a big tub and then select them and pay us usually 50 cents for a okay one, a dollar for a really good one. And um, if they were in a really bad mood, it was because they hit the ball into the woods and we sometimes would actually go find that ball, <laughs> polish it up, and they'd be like, this looks just like my ball. And we're like, probably because it is. <laughs> would you like to buy it back? And so we kind of leveraged that a little bit. Um, so we, we did pretty, pretty well for ourselves. We, uh, every day, sold a lot of golf balls, 50 cents or a dollar. I'll never forget, you know, at nine years old, a $20 bill might as well be a $100 bill. A guy said, I'll just give you 20 for the whole bucket. And it was just like, yes, I didn't even do the math to see if that actually worked out. He probably ripped me off. But um, one day we decided to expand the little business to lemonade. And we said, let's don't just sell golf balls. Let's, uh, let's go big time. We're going to sell lemonade. How many of you ever had a lemonade stand growing up? Everybody's done that at least once, right? Well, this was a one-time only story, too. <laughs> we sold uh, lemonade, or we set up to sell lemonade, and uh, we made up a big five-gallon thing of it. And hot summer Georgia afternoon, July, we said, uh, in, in addition to the golf balls, we said, and today, guys, would you like to buy a cup of lemonade? And no one, no one was interested in the lemonade. And, you know, looking back, it was probably, I can kind of put my business hat on, looking back through the lens of time and say, it was probably a little bit of a marketing problem, like we didn't really advertise it well enough or something like that. But even more, it was probably a packaging problem because we didn't put lids on it and they probably didn't want to fool with keeping it in the golf, the bumpy golf cart. And anyway, for whatever reason, they just didn't buy it. So at the end of the day, we had about five gallons left over. We had been drinking some of it ourselves and it was kind of a shame to pour it all out. And it was heavy, we didn't want to carry it all back to our house. And so we thought, let's just see what happens if we give it away. So golfer comes by, you know, it's a good mood or bad mood, depending on how they've done on the whole. And again, you see some funny things on the golf course, and you see people like wanting to snap a club over their knee or throw the club into the woods or, you know, heard some colorful language out there. Um, and so we'd say, hey, today we, uh, we want to give you something. We want to give you a, a free cup of lemonade. You know, at the end of the day, is wrapping up. The first golfer that comes by, he paid 50 cents for the golf ball. And then when we said that about the free lemonade, he pulls out a $5 bill and he goes, you kids are so sweet, and gave us five bucks for giving him a, a cup of lemonade. Next guy, same thing. Group of guys come by and, you know, would you like a free cup of lemonade? Reaches into a pocket, gave us either a dollar or five dollars, some ten dollars, and we looked at each other like, we've been doing this wrong the whole time. <laughs> so, but what I learned in that, and the reason I share that with you, um, and even though it would be about 30 years before I would connect those dots and, and learn to do something with that, but what, what I think the seed that was planted in me was that there was grace on both sides. Of that transaction and the beautiful thing about business or we can say if we want to broaden it vocation as mission is that there's grace on both sides we were offering something that was free and they were giving us something in return that was that we didn't deserve you know it was just a cup of lemonade and we received five dollars for a what ten cent uh, what could have been a ten cent transaction so many years later God gave me this vision to open a coffee shop that would that would leverage transactions. If, if you're willing to pay four or five dollars for a coffee or a latte, that says a lot about us in our culture that we have 
And we're kind of like the Robin Hood saying, if you can pay that, we're more than happy to, to take the profit on that four or five dollars and to give it to those who, 55% of the world, who can work all day and make less than two dollars a day. So we're leveraging uh, the business community, the caffeine addictions of Brentwood and uh, Green Hills to say, let's let there be grace on both sides of this transaction. We're going to serve you with something that you desire and that you love, and then we're going to use that transaction that you are willing to, to make, and we're gonna use that to bless people. I think so much of what happens for us, though, is that our work is really about getting through the week. It's certainly, we don't think of it as missional, as something that we get to do. It's more like something we have to do. Would you agree? Um, I mean, think about what we say. It's TGIF. It's living for the weekend. Think about how many songs, country songs, pop songs, are all about what we're going to do on Friday night, what we're going to do on Saturday night. Can't wait to get to, you know, the, the good stuff is at the end of the week. But I wonder why we can't wake up on Monday morning and think, Thank God, it's Monday today. I get to participate in God's kingdom today. Like, what do we have in store today, God, as we co-create a, a better today and tomorrow and future? I want to talk about maybe, though, why we don't do this. Let's start with maybe the, the reasons that our vocation and our mission seem to be, for the longest time, have been going opposite directions. Well, work or vocation, you know, it, it, in its most organic, original sense, is a calling, uh, an inclination, a, an impulse toward uh, a particular service. It's, it's a gift we've been given, and we're going to come back to the theology of that in a minute uh, as rooted in Scripture. And then we define usually a mission. It's, it's faith in action. It is, you know, God is the author of the mission, and we're on that mission with him. We are joining in his work, and that's what mission is, not just a mission trip or a mission class, but we are a part of it. But somehow we've come to believe that those two things are going different directions. I'm being called to work, and then I might go on a mission. Think about how we talk about mission. I'm going on a mission trip or doing a mission experience. But in the beginning, these things, and I'm sensing you guys have probably really unpacked this, so we'll just dabble in a little bit this morning, but work and mission were together. So when God creates, right, he calls Adam to be a co-creator in a sense. Or if, that, if you're not comfortable with that strong of language, to be a tender with him, a co-tender or a partner in the very kingdom or garden that he's created, right? And so the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, and the word there is work. He's going to work it. And at this stage, work is a gift. It's a blessing. It's uh, getting to name the animals and care for creation is something that is associated with the mission. So notice again, to work it, so you got work and to uh, care for it in the same description. Work and care for not work for the weekend and work so that you can hurry up and go do the fun stuff after. It's, it's the collision again of work and mission are together um, right there in the beginning. But notice after the fall how what happens with work. Work becomes a painful toil. Work is something that is almost becomes like a curse to Adam. And mission also gets lost, if you will, because as the first murder is committed, as Cain kills his brother Abel, Mission seems to become confused. Notice what God says in Genesis. Um, the description of Abel's blood is what? It cries out for justice is the odd description. In Hebrew, the word cry out um, is zakah. It's this 
desperate cry for justice. It's the, the description that we see when Israel cries out for, uh, it doesn't even say they cried out to God, they just zakah, they just cry out when they're in bondage in Egypt, right? And God heard their cry. So God intervenes and answers because Israel, zakah, they cry out. So when in the first real act of injustice between in humanity, um, when Cain kills his brother Abel, the blood cries out in Zechariah's, and the response is maybe the devolution of, of what we would call mission, where mission goes from, hey, I get to care for creation, to now, eh, do I really, is, it, is that really for me to do, God? I mean, think about it. It's a rhetorical question, but it's a tragic one that I'd say we've inherited in our thinking about our participation in God's kingdom today, and it's still kind of, eh, isn't that for somebody else? We see something that is maybe important, but we think that somebody else can do that. I've got my business and my work here. And we just kind of pass the baton or the torch to others. And while we may not be as bluntly intentional as what Cain was saying, I would say that we didn't just inherit a sinful nature. We inherited a, a, a sinful lukewarmness that just causes us to say, but am I really, is that really for me? Am I really my brothers and sisters keeper? And I think as that continues to devolve, work for us became TGIF and mission became a couple hours a week to come to a church gathering, uh, to maybe go on a trip once a year or once a lifetime. Work then becomes about making money. It's about what we do to get by. It's, it's to bring home a paycheck, working for the weekend. And mission is has become simply okay, I'll do a little bit of mission maybe during the week. I'll go out and find people and invite them to church. I'll bring them in. So it's the, that, that becomes our definition of mission. Think about how flawed that can be, especially in, in the opportunities that are missed. So vocation, um, specifically with business, think about the number of businesses. We're talking about 30 million businesses in the United States that are functioning, operating 40 to six, where a person that's part of that is operating 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week, giving their, their lives to advance this particular thing. Think about the diversity that's in most of our workplaces, the diversity uh, ethnically, religiously, culturally. And what vocation does is it, it naturally integrates us into the life of the world. So we are engaged. Now contrast that with our typical definition of church, which we oftentimes associate with mission. So again, 30 million businesses, 350,000 churches. So you see the um, difference even just by sheer volume. Whereas we're spending in our lives 40 to 60, maybe 80 hours a week for some people in, in a job, we'll spend maybe one to three hours um, in a mostly homogenous, everybody kind of looks alike, believes alike uh, setting. That's um, oftentimes disengaged from the world. We're in here, they're out there, right? I love what Jesus, uh, or what John the Baptist does in preparing the way for Jesus. He sort of does the unexpected when he's calling people out to the wilderness, and he is, his message is one of repentance, right? He's preparing the way for Messiah, and his message is repent. The kingdom of God is, is not like just some future reality. It's not what we fly away to one day. The kingdom of God is where it's at hand. It's, it's in your midst. The future is broken into the present. And so when the people who go out and see him, they, we get, it's, I love the fact that Luke records their vocation. Their vocation 
is at least the, the two pieces of vocation we get, there would have been more, tax collectors and soldiers are coming out, right, to where John is in the wilderness. Unless we get the picture that John is calling them to be escape artists and to say, let's all come out and meditate here for a while and then we'll pray and, and um, we will anxiously await for the Messiah. They say, well, what do we do, John? We do want to repent. We want to be engaged. We want to be part of this kingdom that you're saying is now at hand. And what does John say? He doesn't say, come out, hang out with me for a while. He says, if you're a tax collector, which we all know about tax collectors, first century and maybe even today, right? Um, we don't like tax collectors. We don't like the IRS. We don't like, right, people that in, in Jesus' uh, day would have been associated with dishonest trade. And if I were predicting what John would have said to them, if anything, you would think John would say, okay, you can go back, but give up that job. Like, that's a corrupt. How could you possibly be a person of Yahweh and a tax collector? Instead, what does he say? If you're a tax collector, go be a good one. In essence, redeem that profession. He doesn't say, go be a rabbi. He doesn't say, go follow a rabbi even. I mean, although that would be appropriate and okay. But he says, go be a good one. Redeem the profession. So don't collect any more than you're required to. Go, go do what you're supposed to do. Use the gifts you're given, the talents, the opportunities. Leverage the situations that you're in for good, not for bad. And same thing with soldiers, which is a whole other story, is why soldiers? Probably because these soldiers are the ones enforcing the tax collection. And so what are they supposed to do? So they seem to be linked with the tax collectors. Don't extort money, so don't accuse people falsely. And so when it comes to business as mission, this holy collision... It's a way of rethinking of our, our participation in the world. And, and if business is bothersome, think vocation. So you can say VAM instead of BAM. Um, <laughs> so real business or real vocation and real mission. So when we think in this direction, what we're thinking about is what we do within our workplace. So our workplace becomes our mission. Or perhaps if you are a CEO or an influencer in your business or in your vocation as the workplace. So on two levels here, there, there are ways that we can engage, whether you're the, the guy at the top or the person at the bottom or somewhere in middle management. There is an engagement factor for all of us. So within our work, and Tim, you remember, I think I talked about this at something uh, that you were at recently. There is this, there's this picture I just want to share real quickly for the sake of time. But in John 11, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, if you remember the story, when Jesus arrives at Bethany, they say Lazarus has already passed away. And Jesus says, well, take me there. And there's this interesting kind of set of questions that are raised as Jesus asks them questions. And that's, well, why would Jesus need to be taken there? Of course, he would know, you know, if we believe he's omniscient and omnipresent and all, all these things that he is. Why does he need someone to take him there? And I love this. Again, we talk about business's mission being this holy collision. Well, here's this holy collision of the divine and the human in this moment of, okay, I know where Lazarus is, but I want to do this with you. I want us to do this together. So take me to where Lazarus is. Now, I don't believe that we put Jesus on a plane and take him anywhere. I mean, he's when we go on what we call mission, whether that be across the street to our neighbor or next door to our neighbor or to Africa, we don't take Jesus there. We go with him and we point out what he's already doing there. And so mission is a way of illuminating what Jesus is doing. But the, the part of this story that I want to highlight for a second is that when Jesus arrives at the tomb where Lazarus has been um, buried, 
he says to the people there, before he's going to do the resurrecting work that he and only he's able to do in that moment, he says to the people, it's another sort of divine human collision, you roll away the stone. Now, again, that's kind of funny to me because this is a Jesus that could have just blown it up, cast it into outer space, walked right through it, really impressed everybody, right? And instead, Jesus says, push away the stone. Now, again, to push away that stone, you're talking about leveraging it. You've got to stick something in there probably, and you've got to push that thing away and do the hard work of moving stones. And I bring this story up because this is the work, if you will, of our day-to-day -day journey that is engaged in the world that, doesn't, that almost cannot happen when we reduce mission to just going to church because we're not even around people here that are that are in those tombs. Most of the people that are here are already people that are following Jesus. But out in the world of our day-to-day -day work, what do we get to do? We're, we're participating with Jesus who offers the resurrecting power, the one that can call the dead to life. We're participating with him in what? Rolling away stones. We get to do the hard work every day of leveraging away, pushing away barriers that might separate people from Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Because their first response was, um, we can't go there. It's, he's dead. It stinks in there. You know, that's a dead body. There's a couple things. It's a dead body. It stinks. And we're not supposed to touch dead bodies. Yeah. Breaks the, uh, the ceremonially, ceremonially, this is a problem, right? Yeah. Uh, cleanliness, this is a problem. And it just plain stinks. Martha says in the King James Version, it, he stinketh. <laughs> Which yeah. is, we can't do that, Lord. We can't, we can't go in there. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. So they had to also believe. Okay, he wants us to roll it away for a reason. So I believe in him more than I believe in that. Yeah, so I choose to participate, right? It's not forced on us because they choose, and yet they protest, protest a little bit to say, and it's funny that when anybody in Scripture corrects Jesus, but you get a lot of that, like Peter <laughs> loves to correct Jesus, but Jesus, you know, but we do that sometimes. We tell Jesus a better way. And I find it fascinating that Jesus does choose to partner and, and he could have again done it, his, done it his own way but he says I want you to be part of this story and then he does what he does and that is calls out life into the tomb Lazarus raise up I think for me I used to think that what mission meant was having a better argument uh, being more right than the other guy especially in the churches of Christ that I grew up in it was having a more legalistic argument you know, we think about the bubble that is sometimes Christianity, and then, at least in my experience, the Church of Christ was even a smaller little bubble within that bubble, saying, well, we're the only ones, we're the only way within that bubble, and, you know, it gets really difficult then to think about participating with a Jesus who sits at a table like we, uh, or if you're about to go to the 11 o'clock um, sermon where Josh will be preaching about, you know, a Jesus that sits with tax collectors and is a friend of sinners you know how do you what do you do at that table is it have a better argument or is it just extend your arms and say I'm glad you're here and I love you so our role becomes in this integration of our work and our faith is is loving people toward the kingdom of God rather than trying to fix them or to correct them uh, in everything and lastly in this Jesus as Lazarus is, is raised to life there's as another step this is a whole other message but Take off the grave clothes and let them go. It's a constant walking with. This is discipleship, right? Walking with those who are coming to life because of Christ. What I think that means for us within our work is that 
We've been given gifts. We've been given a vocation. We've been given skills and talents to go out and practice. But yet what I hear people say so often is, I'm just a, what? I'm just a librarian. I'm just a gas station attendant. I mean, I've even heard, I hear people say that about all kinds of professions. I'm just a nurse. I'm just a accountant, right? That one really gets said a lot. People think, how can accounting be, you know, for the kingdom of God? What do we mean when we say just? That's not like justice, just. What do we mean when we say I'm just anything? What have we done in that moment? We've really reduced our calling, haven't we? We've said, yeah, but I, what do I really matter, right? And maybe there's some healthy humility there because there is a, there should be a recognition that, well, what I am is a partner with what God is doing. But what does that make you? It makes you a partner, not just something. So I want to encourage you to never think about what you do, whether you're a student or you have a, a fancy job, that you're not just anything. You are a partner in God's kingdom. You are helping be a co-creator in, the, in a better tomorrow. God doesn't have to have you. You might not think he needs you, and maybe he doesn't, but he chooses, and we choose to participate. And that becomes our gift every day, to say, I'm not just a whatever. I'm a partner with God. That makes life, to me, a journey that is unbelievably exciting and challenging and hard all at the same time as we become a co-creator, in a sense, with him. And, you know, you've heard this language before, but I think that also makes everything we do spiritual. There's no, there are no moments that we just say, yeah, but I'm going to be in this little compartment over here right now. If we're really partnering with God, then every conversation, every thought, everything we do is this deeply spiritual moment. We don't check out and check in or clock in and clock out. We're always in this divine uh, partnership with God. What that means, I think, in our jobs and what we do is that we're called to be Again, not just an accountant. We are an artisan with numbers. We are, if you're a nurse, you are an artisan who is taking the gift that you've been given and you are caring for a part of creation. That is a beautiful gift, right? Think about the words we use, especially again in our church circles, about like how do we describe the work of God in the world? How do we even, even the movement the Churches of Christ are a part of the restoration movement, right? Think about the words we use, God's redemptive work in the world. Um, all those are words that sort of like easily you can see spilling over into vocation with what you're doing. You are, you are tending something. You are making something better. You are restoring something that is broken back to what it should be, right? Isn't that most of what we do with work? And yet we say, eh, I'm just here to kind of pass time, make money, and live for the weekend. I want to show you a few ways that, this, that we live this out at the well. So we, we train our baristas. Again, you're not just a barista. You are an artisan. You are crafting something with your hands that people are coming to you to, because they desire it. They are looking for their caffeine fix, but they're also looking for something of beauty in the cup. Why do our baristas take the time to do this? Because it shows what they believe. The way that we practice our job shows what we believe in. So you might think, well, that takes an extra minute. Why not hurry up and get the customers through? We're not a fast coffee house. We don't advertise ourselves as drive-through fast coffee. You can go to Starbucks for that. 
we want to be a place where you come and experience it. You can get a latte with a cute little flower or sometimes they'll do all kinds of crazy things in your cup. Or you can come over and sit at the bar and you can watch them for four or five minutes do a pour over that it's handcrafted, it takes a while. And you watch and you smell and you experience. And it's a way for our baristas to express, we're artisans, this is what we do. And we're crafting something for you that is important. It's, it's connected to a deeper journey. And so we show our baristas, this is what your work is. It's a, it's a gift, you get to do this. And you know these aren't mind games. This is really like your work is your mission. And then you, you take this beauty in a cup and you, you serve it to someone. And what happens with that transaction, there's grace on both sides in a sense, because if this person has four or five dollars to spend here or anywhere, I would say that's very unbelievably graceful that they've been blessed with an abundance. Most of us, if you can spend four or five dollars for a cup of coffee or a latte, most likely means you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. I would say we don't deserve that. That's grace in a sense, not grace maybe in the traditional sense, but it's something we don't deserve, right? Because I ask myself all the time, you know, if that's, if you, if we're in the top 1%, that would mean if there's a line of 100 people, reduce the world's population to 100 people, I'm at the front of the line. Like, what's my response to that? Is it to stand up there entitled, and of course I should be here, or is it to say, why am I here? You know, maybe I need to go to the back of the line and, and spend time with, with people there. So we, we show our baristas that when you enact that transaction, what you're doing is you're taking the, the profit. It's a graceful profit. And you're helping to do this. You're helping to supply clean water for someone who is like this child in northern Kenya who is walking four or five miles to get that. Instead, the transaction that's over this cup of coffee is allowing for this. So life-giving um, transaction. So what the well does, as most of you know, is we take our profits and we drill. We're not experts in drilling. We partner with well drilling experts to provide clean water for people in need. I like what Paul says. Paul says, so this is what you are. This is what you do. We are his workmanship. This is our calling, right? Our vocation is our way of showing that we're created in Christ to do good works. If you really believe that you're created in the image of God, think about what that says about us. If you're created in the image of a creator, what does that make you? You might say, oh, I'm not that creative. I don't really have any creative gifts, right? And what you probably mean by that is what? I can't draw, or I can't paint, or not very musically gifted, right? So somehow we, we almost think of creativity in those expressions. But we are infinitely creative because we've been created in the image of a creator. So what we do in our jobs and our workplaces is that we get to live into our calling and our vocation at the same time. And within your work, part of what you can do then, you might say, well, I'm just whatever. Well, you're going to spend 40 to 60, 80 hours a week in this place. Don't just be anything. Be present and be what God's given you in this moment. And you might always be thinking about the next thing and what you could do if you got a promotion. But what would happen if we were present in the moment that we were given and we saw it as an opportunity to create this culture within where we are to help nurture a culture uh, of community, whether it was around the water cooler, the coffee machine, or taking someone to lunch? You see, every day is a gift. You're not just going to work. You're, you're participating in kingdom. 
Uh, and again, that, that applies in whatever you're doing. If you are in a top level, C-level position, you, you also get to play a role. You get to actually dictate that culture and determine so much of what takes place. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of what I think are creativity and strong leadership in the corporate world. Some of you may have heard of Joe Slawick. He's the CEO and founder of Fona International. had the opportunity to meet Joe and, and what I do at Lipscomb. And he is uh, creating for his employees a chaplaincy program. I mean, you talk about creating a culture in this billion-dollar industry, and Fona is like a, a flavor industry. So, like, you may not think you've heard of Fona, but if you any flavor Skittles, uh, the flavoring, and anything that you you know that you have ever had, Joe is one of the ones like testing all that stuff out. Joe's company, and so here in this, you think that's just a flavor company. What do they have to do with the kingdom of God? Within his multi-billion-dollar business, they are doing amazing things in the corporate world. They've hired these employees and provided healthy environments for them to come to know and appreciate and to serve alongside Jesus. Same thing, I've gotten to know Frank Harrison, who's the CEO of Coca-Cola Bottling Company. He's the largest, uh, he has the largest bottling, uh, he has 14 plants. And again, what they started this, this chaplaincy program within Coca-Cola, uh, he started this thing called T-Factor, Transformation Factor. And of course they hire people who are Christian, non-Christian, uh, all kinds of different beliefs, no beliefs, and within the work, they've created a culture of nurture so that people within Coca-Cola um, have an opportunity to be loved and uh, loved into the, the kingdom of God. So within our business, whether you're, again, at whatever level you're at, um, middle management or, you know, you think that you're the low person on the totem pole or you're the CEO, you get to play a role within your business of being present. As the business, so one thing that I've really enjoyed about thinking differently somewhat in business as mission is that the business itself can create um, something, and that is profit. A business can create a profit and then develop a sustainable solution to poverty. I call this, um, and this is not all that clever because there are TV shows that, you know, they're named similarly like The Profit, if you've ever watched it. I don't think they mean the same thing I do, but... Um, but what I think this means is that we learn if you are going to develop, use business to develop a solution to things like poverty, you are becoming prophetic over profit. Prophecy, in a sense, is speaking truth into something. You are directing, uh, you are guiding, speaking life into something, and profit can be used for good. Now think about how we've reduced this, though. Like corporate America uh, would have us believe. Think about like the Lego movie. We've been the, the bad guy in the movie. The bad Lego is Mr. Business, right? So everything gets lumped into the, we hear all the bad stories and we think business is bad. But what if business could be the most sustainable way to fight poverty? You might think, well, how does that happen? Well, I love sharing this with Lipscomb students, especially on a, on a campus where... Um, this is probably controversial, but uh, I like to provoke a little. So one of the first businesses as mission, you might say, was Arthur Guinness's Guinness Beer um, because what he did uh, was so profound. He actually started Guinness as a way of alleviating drunkenness, uh, fill you up with a stout so that you don't keep drinking more was the original idea. Um, it was also a time when water and other things were not uh, very accessible in Ireland where he was. And so, but notice what he said, and it, it was known, he took care of his employees of, I mean, he was known for paying for funerals of uh, employees, mothers or fathers or spouses, 
uh, if they couldn't if they couldn't pay for it, he paid for all kinds of things and did so much good. And what Arthur Guinness was known for was earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Use your abundance for the good of mankind. Again, using business, using profit for good. Now, I also think that we give out of like not just abundance. I mean, Jesus tells stories about a man that built bigger barns and how foolish that was and he should have given. I also think we give out of like not just our abundance. We give out of, you know, sacrificially as well. But let me show you another story. Um, How many knew 5-Hour Energy was doing incredible things? Like you might be embarrassed to to grab one of those in the gas station because you're thinking, yeah, Kyle's got his Red Bull there, so he's not embarrassed. Um, Stuff weak. (laughs) 5-Hour Energy. (laughs) Yeah, compared to that. Five-hour energy, a little bundle of energy in a bottle, is actually a $4 billion profitable business and giving 98% of that, Manoj Bargeva, uh, is giving 98% of that to develop solutions to poverty. And we've only got a short amount of time. This is, I try to teach all this over the course of a semester and I'm reducing it to 45 minutes here, but give you a quick snapshot. He's developing solutions using business to, um, using the profits on five-hour energy to develop solutions like, I, I think it's cool that we get to drill wells. This guy's building clean water barges that are pumping water inland, far inland. So this wouldn't work all the way in like Central Africa, but in a lot of places that are not just right on the coast, he's able though to build, he's trying to build pipelines to get water inland that's converting seawater, salt water into clean water uh, through things like this. He's creating energy solutions for villages that don't have power, hop on a bike. If one person will ride that bike for an hour each day, then you can power the whole village. Health solutions uh, that are using pumps and circulating blood throughout the body, throughout your body, especially in poverty-stricken places. He's using profits to pioneer and develop solutions. Um, Let's skip ahead just a little bit. So when we think about business, we, we get to participate in using products or services or the thing that we do every day, whatever that thing is that you do, to make the world a better place, to bless lives. There was a study done, and I know I'm gonna run out of time here, and there's so much more I wanna share, but there was a study done that uh, uh, tracked two groups of people. One was gonna go to Thailand for uh, a number of years, and they were going to do the more traditional preaching, teaching, word of mouth, let's tell people about Jesus. The other group was going to practice some more intentional BAM, like business as mission. We're going to go in and we're going to set up real businesses that turn a real profit, and we're going to bless people with creating jobs, products, services. And they weren't hiding their faith, but they were in the midst of the workplace living out their faith and inviting people into into a relationship with Jesus more indirectly. That group was labeled as the, the blessers. The other group was labeled as the converters. That was not a label they would put on themselves, but in the study. So for three years in Thailand, the blessers went out and did their thing, created real jobs, did real business, hired people, created products and services. The other group went out and did more of the traditional kind of preach, tell. At the end of three years, they were both studied, and the blessers experienced conversions at a rate of 48 to 1 over the converters because they were engaged day to day. When you think about what that means for like what we call mission work and being a missionary, I'm getting now to work with missionaries who are saying, I moved out here to Africa or South America or wherever, and you know, I thought the goal was to build a church building and then just wait and see if people would come and go out and evangelize and get to the building. And I'm working with a particular one in South America right now in, in uh, Porto Alegre, Brazil. He's been doing that for 20 years. He's been dependent on church 
I mean, his whole thing basically he's doing gets sort of the tension of, what if that church committee goes into a room one Wednesday night and they're in a bad mood and somebody, they need a new carpet and cut, you're gone. Like your funding is gone. And that's what happens a lot of times is churches are, our missionaries are dependent on churches. Missionaries, healthily, I think, are starting to rethink that and to think more sustainably and say, what if it would actually be more sustainably financially, but also more sustainably in the mission of what I'm doing to open a business and to engage with people day to day? So I'm working with a, we're working with a missionary couple right now in Porto Alegre to open a cookie, believe it or not, a cookie business in Porto Alegre called American, like the Great American Cookie Company here, but they're just gonna be American cookies. And there's a market for that. And they're gonna start a, a cookie business that my students are helping with. Um, and I could go on and on, a couple in Bangkok that's been missionaries there, they're from Memphis. They're gonna open a coffee shop in Bangkok to do the same kind of thing. What this does is creates a more holistic approach. So our work becomes holistic and, and I believe um, as you think about what BAM does, there are multiple bottom lines here. You're measuring success differently. Um, this also helps us to move beyond so much of what the church is focused on is just relief. You know, so much of what a mission trip is is going and just providing relief. But holistically, when you think about the day-to-day rigors of it, it isn't just go and, and rebuild in that moment. It's, it's the, the rest of the story. Who I read when Helping Hurts is, is really centered around these three things. It's more than just providing a quick fix. It's rehab and, and development, restoring something that was broken. Um, so again, Azure Work, and, and we're talking about using our creative gifts to, to do things like fight poverty uh, among the world's poorest and least evangelized people. Some of you probably heard of the 1040 window. This, this is the least evangelized place globally. Think about ways that business and you using your creative gifts could go in there. Um, where 85% of the world's poorest people live. Um, again, so what business's mission does is says, let's, let's be driven, not just by profit. It's gotta be profit, profitable and sustainable. Um, so it's gotta be financially sustainable. But we're talking about socially, missionally sustainable. So you're developing a solution, you're pioneering. I mean, that's what I love. You know, I don't even know if Five Hour Energy is doing that in the name of Christ or not. But what I do know is that they're developing a sustainable solution to poverty. Um, and they're helping to make the world a better place. And again, what we as kingdom of God people can do is participate in that kind of work and invite people um, to see a Jesus that's at work. I'll close with this. I know we're, we're really done, aren't we? It's 1045 or sort of yeah, stop time. Yeah. Okay. Just a, a quick quote here. and I actually have... Wayne Gruden, Grudem's gotten some trouble recently for his stance on Trump, and it's actually tainted my view of him, I'll be honest and say, so if you recognize the, the name Wayne Grudem. Um, but he says this, and I think he's right, even though I don't agree with a lot of other things he says. I believe the only long-term solution to world poverty is business. That's because business produces goods, and business produces jobs, and business continues producing goods year after year continue to provide jobs and paying wages year after year. Therefore, if we're ever going to see long-term solutions to world poverty, I believe it will come through starting and maintaining productive, profitable businesses. So I know we're, we're talking about a lot of things here, vocation, business, in, within your work, as your work, to help break poverty cycles. So that we move beyond this, which we've heard all of our lives, ancient Chinese proverb, really good on one level, but not if people don't have access to the pond. You can, you can teach them to fish 
all day, but if they don't have access to the pond, then what good is it? And so most of these people already have a skill. What we do is come alongside them, what we can do, and teach them more than just giving them a, a skill, but we give them access to the pond. We teach them to start um, a business. So I hope, and again, we just, a lot of stuff all at once here. I hope we can see what we do, whatever level, within your work, as your work, um, we get to participate in the work that God's doing in the world. That is infinitely creative. It's infinitely exciting and infinitely challenging. But let's be people who participate with a Jesus that says, will you roll away the stone with me? Let's together, let's, let's remove barriers of poverty and remove barriers of legalism and everything in between. And let's work together to speak life into those who are not experiencing life. And together, we'll make the world a better place and we'll bring a portrait of the future kingdom into the present. Let me pray over us, and I know we're a little past time, so we'll be done. Father, thank you for the rapid-fire things that we've just heard, and and thank you for the seeds that maybe you're planted. We pray that you would take them and water them and bless them and allow for those that have been listening today and thinking today to take them and to allow them to grow in their own lives in their own way and to bless those that are around them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. Are you doing this? That's, uh, I, I love the, um, the just part of it because I think that that actually is, is on both sides of it. Um, the thinking of business as just business, right, like just profit, um, like you're wanting to connect it to these bigger things, right? Like right. business sh- should, should recognize it's a, it's a part of a larger thing. And at the same time, like, our spirituality needs to do the same thing. Too. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's a uh, challenge to both like our engagement as spiritual people and businesses' engagement in the in the world. I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that yeah, I think that's a that's a really powerful powerful uh, idea. Um, yeah, we really reduce I think our calling when we talk about justice or that because we mm-hmm. we don't believe that mm-hmm. we are really participate in something bigger than us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also like, um, like the, the thing about John the Baptist, um, you know, we talk a lot about what, yeah, waiting on, waiting on God, but the, the waiting there is not a passive waiting. Right? Yeah, like it's engaged. Yeah, you go, you go and do, you know, uh, as you prepare for the Messiah, right, you're, Here's your way of responding to that, right? That's um, yeah. It's not escape artist Christianity like we tended to make it, where we just all kind of say the world, this whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, and we're just going to go down with it. You know, it's a sinking ship, and this is so opposite. This is turning. You know, it's instead of just thinking, well, hold on, we die. This is a way of saying, wait a minute, God is at work in this world. How dare we think that it's just a sinking ship? It's more like He's bringing it back up, even though it doesn't look like it all the time. We get to be part of the restoration. Uh, the redemption that we're moving toward, and it's a whole different mindset when you yeah. don't think of escape this world. And I tend to think that like such bad theology on that drug. Yeah, well, I did. I'm my home. I'm just passing through. Oh, and I, I, I skipped a whole section on that. When you look at our songs, I have a, a slide that shows songs. All, so many of our songs are about our future reality and what we're going to fly away to. Yeah. Our mansion, robe, and crown, and 
think we really miss out when that's our only focus. It is an important part of the future is important, but I think the future is going to collide with the present, not us flying away to it. I think it's coming to us in a sense. And, yeah. A new, new heaven, new earth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you guys. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's why we get in trouble up there. I know, and I, I seriously <laughs> no, had so no, many no. more things than I thought. Yeah. yeah. So, time. Oh, uh, <laughs> How's it going? I, have you met anyone? I don't think so. Hi. Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, so, um, so what's the. What's the. We've uh, talked about Like, you know, do this yeah, right. 